Hey, thanks for finding our podcast. This is Mason talking. I do the editing and just wanted to give you a heads up about this episode. When we decided to make this show, we kind of just jumped in without much thought for uh, preparation or audio quality. We as a group think the content we created was still good enough to put out in the universe, but we wanted to give you a warning that this episode will be a bit rough around the edges. If that's a concern for you, that's completely fair, and I would recommend skipping to episode 4, What is Engagement? At that point, we took the time to get some upgrades and came in with slightly more of a plan. We also took the time to introduce ourselves in that episode, which we neglected to do here. Don't worry, though, I can introduce us each year, so I will do so now. Uh, my name is David. I'm Trevor. And I'm Mason. I really thought up ready for one, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's, it's in that same direction. We're talking about, you know, simplicity and, and whatnot. So I was thinking of uh, at what point, and I know what we're all going to say, but you know, there's going to hit a point where like someone's going to want to try and do something and the mechanics don't quite handle it due to the nature of the rules of the game. At what point do you throw it out, make something up? At what point do you compromise? At what point do you say, eh, let's find a different way to do it? Because, um, <clears throat> you know, we, we all come from a pretty role play heavy bent and it's like yeah you know i i want you to be able to do the thing um is, is typically what we end up doing as, as individuals and as a group but mm-hmm. you know how, how do you find what's comfortable for people for that mm, i think uh mechanically uh D at least doesn't have very robust rules uh about role playing um you know obviously the most effort they put into the rules are on combat and like skills Mm -hmm. um so how do you reward role play mechanically um there's not a ton there for that and so i think you kind of have to throw that in now if they want to do something role playing wise that's ambitious that would change the route of the campaign that would change the encounter they're about to go into i would generally say yep they're allowed to do or say or try to convince anybody of anything and then it might benefit mechanics down the road Mm -hmm. Um, i would probably put the mechanics off um, if they were having a straight role play experience um but maybe if they aren't as comfortable role-playing or they don't have as many examples of persuading uh, an NPC, um, then, you know, I just would probably ask leading questions and try to have them have a conversation. If they don't really want, if the player doesn't want to have that conversation and just wants to do a skill check, then I try to meet in the middle somewhere. Um, cause I am of the idea that I would rather avoid mechanics during a role play segment and let the, yeah. let the role play go and say, okay, you want to convince this guard to, you want to convince this guard to give you his key or you want to get the key from this guard. Um, if it's all role play, you know, then that's a conversation that's a dialogue. Um, but if you're stealing it from him, then that's mechanics. Yeah. Because where this question came from was when Dave was mentioning, like, you know, D&D compared to other games. Mm-hmm. And, and my thought was, you know, trying to role play in a game like Skyrim. You know, it's like, oh, I want to be just a pure ice wizard. And ten, 10 hours later, you're playing a stealth archer again because it's just objectively the best way to play <laughs> the game to accomplish the task. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when, when mechanics themselves are getting in the way of trying to roleplay, an example in D&D is like, you know, I, I ran into it with Pitt. You know, I want to be a barbarian, but he's kind of got a religious side, so I want to multi-class into cleric. But it really ends up mechanically making the character not as good to do that, and it doesn't quite even accomplish what I wanted. So that, that's the more hard and fast way, or mm, more... Okay. more literal way of it but you know just in general you know when mechanics get in the way of what you're trying to do with the story how, how 
what are ways to handle that? I know us three typically will we will move heaven and earth to make it happen. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> what yeah. are the ways to do it? Okay, that, that gives me a little more direction. What I would yeah. say then is let's either come up with a different mechanic together, find one, like people have run into this problem before. They're very mm-hmm. hardworking, intelligent, good game mechanic building people all over the internet that probably mm-hmm. have something that it, at least gets you most of the way there. Um, towards what you want and then you can kind of fiddle around and get the rest of it uh, for the you know wanting to play a certain type of character we've brought up this example what if your party is a party of pacifists yep who don't want to fight but the only way to get experience you know the the most obvious way to get experience is with combat that has 50 percent of the rules in D in it you know they obviously want you to fight shit in D anD. d But if you are trying to avoid fights, or even just be non-lethal, you're basically trying to knock everything out, put it to sleep, charm it, make it run away. Um, the mechanics are hard for that, so you might have to make new spells. You might have to come up with different non-lethal mechanics. You might have to, you know, do stuff like that. You know, they give the, you know, you can choose to do non-lethal damage. Uh, Honestly, I think that's kind of a cop-out because if I'm attacking you with a great axe and I can do, you know, 1d12 of damage, I'm not going to do 1d12 damage if I hit you with the hilt. Yeah. Yeah. Like, arguably, uh, if we're going for the realism route, well, we play this fantasy game that's all made up in our heads. So, like, I would say, what has your character developed to take people down safely? Because going off of that, like, you know, just saying, oh, I'm going to hit him non-lethally with my great axe. You know, (laughs) if, if I'm wanting to do a pacifism campaign, I want the mechanical interactions to feel a little bit different than just combat. Because then, you know, if I'm going and whacking people with my great axe to knock them out, is that really truly pacifist or is it just sort of merciful? You know, and so if it's uh, instead like we're, 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 you know, trying to take people down using the magic and stuff, know. but then you run into the issue of like high level monsters. A lot of them have sleep immunity, charm immunity, or at least high enough saves that it's not really going to work. And so then what alternative ways do you have of interacting with those? And so that, you know, if I were doing that campaign, I would end up putting a lot of work in to find some different mechanics to make that happen. So then Hon- it really, honestly, you'd probably you know, have to just do like a lot more puzzle combat where yeah. you are running away, dodging from shit, building more mobility slash escape spells slash mm-hmm. uh, incapacitating spells so that, you know, your party is trying to, you know, you are a group of activists that are trying to expose the king's corruption, but you all don't want to kill all these citizens who are acting on the king's orders. Mm-hmm. because that makes your cause look bad yep um so you have to break in to all of these diplomats offices but not kill anybody and if you get caught what does that escape look like that's a very different combat than you're in a cave full of goblins you know the, the escape from hawk mm-hmm. right? <laughs> you, you can't necessarily win the battle because they just have greater lethal force. You have to find some way to incapacitate them that might be very complicated and difficult and something that, you know, the tools you have are not quite built for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, I mean, that was going to be my next question, just mechanics versus role play, or how do you integrate the two? Ooh, uh, big, big input on this one. Yeah. Don't make your players roll like persuasion rolls against each other. It's just weird. It, um, no one comes out happy from that, in my opinion. Yeah, <laughs> it's weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, nobody wants it. Nobody wants to play. Nobody wants to be strong-armed into an action. Uh, unless it's from, like, you know, the evil wizard casting, like, Gesh on you or something. Uh, yeah. Then, you know, there, there's at least a story mechanic there. But, like, ooh, player versus player... Social interactions, not going to 
people aren't going to be happy. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, so, so what, uh, what mechanics do you think are appropriate, crop, like player to player, like persuasion? Uh, you know, this, int- like I would say, maybe deception and insight. In deception, insight. I, I would like intimidation. I think could work. You know, if I, I honestly think it could, if you're in a group of, of at least decent role players, you know, if if Pitt, for example, honestly tried to intimidate Listaria, he would have a pretty damn good chance to, because he's like eight feet tall, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, just just his physical presence, presence, you know, uh, but. Um, I think intimidation could work, but you know, just just stay away from persuasion. That's the biggest one because mm-hmm. I've this is kind of a tangent, but I've seen a lot of people. I'm just gonna do this light. This is more of a mechanics conversation, but I've seen people with the opinion that the persuasion role is like a dominate person ability. Or, or something yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. It's not at all. Um, it's a persuasion. You know, <laughs> you're working to convince people, and they have the option of saying no. So just keep that in mind. That's that's my short and sweet discourse on that. Mm-hmm. Um, what other places do you see mechanics and role play butt up? Um, I, I uh, think... Oh, go ahead. Yeah, let, let, let's. I mean, a, a classic one is it happens more in systems with a lot higher diversity in, like, numerical advantage. Like, 3-5 in Pathfinder, you can have someone with a plus 3 from a stat in a skill and a plus 20 because they're specialized in something. And so then you end up with someone who can't quite make the character they want because of the way this, the difficulty values work. Mm-hmm. Um and, and for me, my answer is don't use that system. That's why I don't typically use those systems, because it restricts character identities to you. If, if one person has brought a, a fairly optimized character, the entire campaign is going to warp around them unless everybody else is a very optimized character. And I don't like that. I like people to have, you know, I have this kind of funny idea, you know, like in the Pathfinder campaign, I mean, I wanted to be a nine-year-old wizard. And there's a lot of things that I can't do because I'm a nine-year-old wizard, and I'm okay with that in that particular instance. But you know, a lot of other ones, if I have a weird idea, you know, and it just does not work at a mechanical level to interact with the rest of the game, then I can't play that character anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, they're just not effective. Uh, a classic one, an older one, is like, you know, I want to be a monk, but I didn't get 18 on three stats, so I just kind of. <laughs> you know, and that, that, that's nitty gritty mechanic stuff, but even just things like uh, I, I want to try and accomplish a task, but I just don't have the skill proficiency. Um, but it's something that seems like a reasonable task mm-hmm. that a person should be able to do. And, well, you know, I, I'm going kind of along with that same thread. Um, Let your characters learn skills, like in game. I, I I don't see. I don't see any reason for DMs to restrict their players. To, you know these skills, and for the rest of the, your life, you only know these skills. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, let your if your character wants to branch out to be a jack of all trades, not the skill, just in general, jack-of-all-trades. Just give them an in-game quest, you know, have a break for a while, or suggest the player, you know, every night before I take a long rest, I'm going to tinker around with my alchemist set for a while. You know, uh, just uh, D&D is an organic game. Let it, let it be organic. Yeah. You can define when it happens. Get your game faces on, boys. Um, I think, like, so far we've had a pretty varied conversation just about 
a bunch of different avenues of role play. Um, we were talking about mechanics um, versus role play or mechanics that help role play or um, when mechanics get in the way of role play. Um, yeah. We talked about um, like if the mechanics of the game you're playing don't support the kind of character you want to play or it would be more rewarding mechanically to play your character a different way. Um, for instance, if your game is built on being stealthy, but like that's not the kind of character you want to play or there's more mechanical benefits for just killing everything in the room and asking questions later. Um, yeah. And I, I'll take just a second to explain where, where I got to this question from. Cause, um, like I mentioned was when Dave was mentioning, uh, other types of games and I ended up thinking about video games. And the one I thought about in specific, specifically was Stellaris. Uh, mm -hmm. I started playing that this summer. And, and really any kind of 4X grand strategy civilization type game. And the, the thing that always bugs me about those is like I want to build like an interesting nation that does these cool things. You know, like I want to try a, a peaceful politicky run or whatever. But the fact that there's a score and a way to win in those particular games kind of dissuades you from a lot of ways of playing if part of your goal is also to win. Um, and obviously you can choose to ignore that, but like there's a part of my mind that's always like, oh, but my score is really low, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I, I never end up finishing those games where I'm like, you know, I want to build a small kingdom instead of just conquering the entire galaxy or just expanding really fast. I want to do like a really small thing. Um, but the fact that my scores well bugs me because I'm like, I'm better than those computers, gosh darn it. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. Um, and, and that's kind of what got me thinking about like the, the, the incentive is it, the incentives that the, the, the game itself gives to you in the mm -hmm. way you play. And I was trying to figure out, you know, cause the mechanics running into role play is a hard one. Yeah. And well, well, like as written D and D five E is. You can get experience at the DM's discretion for roleplay scenarios, or if you do a roleplaying skill challenge. Yep. Um, so killing stuff gets you XP. Uh, but it's yeah, it seems more straightforward to get stuff, yeah. uh, get XP by killing stuff. And um, continuing along that, um, I know we talked about like you can roleplay in combat, and you absolutely can. But if you want to do like more in-depth character, relational, and dialogue stuff. Um, I I've run into it in uh, the game I run, where it's like, you know, solving a problem via words, success is not clear. Where, you know, success in the combat is pretty clear. Your enemy is dead, they've given up, or they run away. And there's a very clear sign that things have ended, because you're like, okay, we're out of initiative, combat's over. Um, <clears throat> as a structural yeah. thing in the game. And well, so there... I've, had a, I've had a lot Sorry. of times where it's like, we start a dialogue, the dialogue doesn't go anywhere. They feel like they're not getting anywhere, even though they are. And it's like, eh, it's easier to just kill them. And then they move on. You know, I want to bring up an example from our own campaign. Very recently, there is a really heavy discussion between Lestari and Pitt yeah. and Theo. Um, and uh, that had uh, that had a I would say a profound effect on Astoria. I don't know if Pitt had the same experience there, but um, and I, I've kind of been mulling over this on my own, you know, like how does a DM adjudicate experience to something that for, for like as a player for me personally i only realized that like i knew something profound had happened but i only fully realized it until you know like a couple weeks after the session mm -hmm. well you know just before we were planning another session i was really thinking about it and i'm like oh that changes a lot um actually so how, how does a DM adjudicate something like that? You know, it's, <laughs> that's let alone how, do, how does the GM 
give experience equivalent to the experience you get in combat. That, yeah. That's why, I mean, we're running Milestone just for audience out there, but that's that's why I'm, I like uh, Milestone personally. But. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, uh, honestly, there, there are instances of roleplay clashing with mechanics, um, but I think the bigger problem in, in 5th edition in particular is roleplay not being supported by mechanics. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, so, so that's why there's such a wide variety of what roleplaying means when we're talking Dungeons and Dragons. If you're playing like Vampire the Masquerade or something, you know, we're, we're in a little bit different realm. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's other systems. I haven't played a lot of other systems. Mason's more of an expert uh, <laughs> than I am in tinkering and trying out different systems. Um, just because I wanted to do what I could get people to do with me relatively quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a lot of experience onboarding new players. I've been through a lot of different groups of lots of, uh, of different kinds of people and just been like, please, please play D and D with me. <laughs> I need, I need it. Just, I'll do what, I'll do whatever you want. Just we could we, it could be a rom-com. It could be a drama. It could be a thriller. It could be a house murder mystery every every episode. I just want to play D and D. Yo, don't got any of them character sheets filled out. We can- <laughs> yeah, dude, I'm Jones and man, I'm Jones. Like, oh, you're that um, creative juice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and I, I, I like have had so much fun playing role playing games, uh, and most of that is in D and D. But I've had to come up with some tricks with some ways to like drive the role playing up because I think that is some of the most interesting parts. Um, personally, uh, I don't think it has to be the end all be all for everybody. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit about some like mechanics that, that I have used and, and ask you guys if you've, seen or used any other mechanics in other games um, that you think are useful to encourage role-playing. An example um, that that I use, um, and it, it's pretty simple for people who are less experienced, um, we've done the emotion wheel, um, where it's a D8 and there's a wheel of emotions, um, and then it land, the D8 lands on an emotion, and then the, it branches out from there into different expressions of the emotion. Um, so mad might be frustrated, disappointed, hateful, vengeful. Um, you know, so very, like, it's anger, but what kind of anger? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so you can use that to kind of give a player who doesn't really know or feel committed to a certain thing for their character, some stuff to look at and to work off of. Um, But I've also done like the people who are role playing don't necessarily have to make the persuasion role if they make a relatively persuasive argument. But if you don't take the time to make an argument, then you're going to make a persuasion or a deception roll or whatever. Um, and that can, that can backfire in certain ways, but those are some like simple mechanics that you can toss on top of D and D to like encourage some role playing. Um, are there any others that you guys have experienced? Yeah. I'm just going to shout it out. Our inspiration system. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's it's not ours it's in the game um it's in the rule books use the inspiration system it it mm-hmm. is so amazing uh you can store them for later uh you can use them whenever and really that has been a huge source of would you talk a little bit to like we we've put a little bit of spin on it yeah yeah we we have uh i, I think the spin we put on it was basically um, if one of the players uh, 
around the table. Could be anybody, the GM, the players. If one of them decides that someone has done an excellent job or has put a superb argument on the table or um, has acted in a way that their character would act to the, I guess, the detriment of, not necessarily the detriment of themselves, but uh, if the player would act in a different way than their character would, and the player consciously decided that the character is going to act the way the character should because of roleplay. And, um, and it had a, an impact on the story and the scene as yeah. a result. Yeah, uh, that that's that's our personal spin on it, and it's kind of a turned into kind of a council thing, almost like a vote system where, um, you know, I'll say Pitt acted great. I'm going to give him an inspiration point, and we only have one of them per session, and you can only bank up to three. I think yeah. mm-hmm. was the rule. Um, so, you know, there are sessions, lots of sessions, where we don't give out any inspiration. Um, and there are times where I just forget the whole inspiration <laughs> rule. <laughs> mm-hmm. Forget to give it out. But uh, for me personally, it's been awesome. Um, we, we've made it so inspiration is very powerful. It's basically the equivalent of a luck point. Um, mm-hmm. But... Correct me if I'm wrong. It has been used to to it has been used to inflict uh, to inflict um, what is it? Uh, well, uh, adva- to, disadvantage. To, yeah. So to to pull back the curtain a little bit about what I do. So typically, um, if I remember, um, because I am. A perfectly fallible DM, and sometimes I completely forget about this inspiration system that I cooked up with these guys, and don't even mention it. But typically, at the end of the session, what I would like to do is say, "Hey, do we think anybody should have gotten inspiration during the session?" Um, yeah. And so we can bring it up for the characters, and the characters can get inspiration. Um, but what I like as a DM is the players have been gracious enough to also award my characters inspiration. So the NPCs get inspiration too. If I manage to pull off a good emotional beat or a good like scene with a character. Um, So I have a spreadsheet and I track those um, and I get to bank them too, but I also get to bank them for the bad guys. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And so with the bad guys, um, I gave the bad guys the ability to use their inspiration to give the player characters a, an, an anti-inspiration, essentially. So having to roll at disadvantage. Um, so I'll, I'll tie that into the story thematically. Um, but, you know, it encourages me to be on top of my game, too, because then I can... Like, dice are fun. The randomness of D&D <laughs> and other games based on a bit of chance, usually weighted in some way or another, create some real tension because things can go sideways fast. Mm-hmm. Um, but being able to give each other inspiration points and kind of bank those for those big moments... If there's a moment I want to happen, I'll blow I'll blow every inspiration point I have and try to make it happen. We we have capped it at two, so you can only mm-hmm. spend two on any one roll. Yeah. Um, so that it you know it's not too ridiculous. Um, but we're telling a serious enough and cohesive enough story that it makes sense for us. Um, so so I would encourage other DMs to think of ways to use inspiration that would be good for your campaign. Um, I really like having inspiration points for my NPCs because then like if they're coming to the rescue potentially, or if the players have created some problem for them that's happening off, off stage in between sessions, 
I'll use that inspiration when I do roles for them. Because I usually, I don't usually just make blanket story decisions for my NPCs. I usually have just a simple role weighted with the events that the characters have influenced. Um, so if the characters have been helpful to them, have given them the resources to deal with the problem, then they'll have pluses or minuses. Um, but they can have inspiration on that now because of the system we're using. Um, and so that makes for some interesting, really punchy moments um, and a good a few natural 20s that have really saved the party's <laughs> bacon. And it's, it's powerful for the players as well because it it's role play that then feeds into more role play. Like as as a player, you know, if I get inspiration, I see it not as like, oh, I just get to, you know, change a bad role. I see it as, okay, when there's something that's important to my character, I can nudge things towards success. If something makes sense that my character should succeed in it because it's something they're good at or they're motivated to do, that's what I'm most likely to use inspiration on because it's something that's important to them. And so then even just the act of spending inspiration becomes, in its own way, a form of role play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's the Goku going Super Saiyan because, you know, his friends are in danger or, yeah. you know, the extra bit of energy coming out so that you can clench the task, that bit of adrenaline that helps you push through uh, and get it done. Uh, that's how we tend to look at it. And I think it's really upped the role play for us. Yeah. Um, the, the way, another thing I've seen to help support role play um, is, I don't remember where I read it, um, but I, I, I've used it on higher stakes, like interaction based stuff. Because, you know, interaction-based stuff in D&D often just boils down to someone saying, I'm going to try and use this skill to do this thing, to roll a dice, and it happens or it doesn't. And sometimes that's a little unsatisfying for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, if you're doing like a dialogue interaction with an NPC and they're trying to get something from them, you know, we'll we'll use the guard example again. Um, Just because it's an easy one, it's a classic kind of staple of, you know, you need to get past a person who is an obstacle. And so as the GM, I'm like, okay... Again, why is this person not going to let them through? And I'll make a list of like two or three things. For the guard, well, number one, it's his job. And he needs to keep his job and if he lets him through, he'll get fired. Um, and two, he might not like the players because he's interacted with them in the past. So that's two things. So I'm going to require them at least two successes to persuade him to let them pass. And they will get bonuses on their roll if they can figure out why he won't let them pass. If they're like, hey, you know... When you get fired, he's like, no, dude, my job's here. And they're like, well, come on, can't you let it go? And it's like, no, I'll get fired, and I kind of need to feed my family. So they're like, okay, well, I can feed your family for the next three years by giving you 100 gold pieces. So it's like, well, <laughs> then, that changes things, you know, because they, they find what he's what is making them resist, and they're able to resolve it with or without roles. They can use, like, insight or perception roles to try and figure out what their objections are, and then they can use, you know, just simple game actions and resources or persuasion, or intimidation, or skills to solve those objections. Mm-hmm. And the the DC and number of objections can be raised and lowered based on the difficulty of that social encounter. And so it's a pretty easy rule of thumb for me to just like, okay, this, you know, he's a guard, they're giving him 100 gold, it's done. Like, that's a simple thing. It's not the, you know, highlight of the session. You know, but them persuading a king to make them into knights so they can have authority in his kingdom is going to be a lot more, and they might not solve it all together, and they might have to go to a quest to resolve the last key objection of, I don't know who you strangers are coming and asking me to make you knights in my kingdom. Um, the nice thing, though, is you can literally have a conversation about to your players about, like, this is how I'm resolving high-profile social interactions. So it will behoove you to interact with the NPCs and, under, and get to know why they aren't just doing what you want them to. Because mm-hmm. then you're able to interact with them as a person. And so then they start behaving with the NPCs the way they would behave with a real person. And it solves the issue of, well, I'm talking with this person and I don't feel like progress is being made. And so we're just going to backstab them instead. You know, they see you like making tallies of like progress. They see each check is moving them forward. And they're able to better contextualize 
my role play is getting me results mm-hmm. and so th- I can see the mechanics and interact with them and they're supporting the role play. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think allowing the players to see what they're doing is, is a huge. Yeah. I, I used that one for a while and just kind of did it behind the screen and it didn't give me the results. And finally I was like, here's how I'm doing it. And then yeah. I started, you know, they, they're like, Oh, that's a thing I can, I can interact mm-hmm. with that. They understand the rules. Same way they understand the rules are like, yes, for combat, I can move somewhere and attack a guy. Yeah. And that, that knowledge empowers them. I, I, I think the position of being a game master sometimes feels like you should hold things close to the chest and like yeah. not, you know, disillusion the magic that's going on. Um, but sometimes that really backsfi- backfires. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if you are wanting something to happen in your campaign, whether you are a player or the GM, you need to make it clear. Yep. Um, so if you are a GM who is wanting your characters to role play more, then you need to make it clear both through how you're acting, through what you are rewarding, through what you talk about, and just straight up talking to the people that you're playing with and saying, hey, uh, I've really enjoyed like the sessions that we've been having. I think we're having a lot of fun. Um, I'm wondering if you guys would be interested in exploring a little bit more about what your characters are like. And if, yeah. the, if the answer around the table is, nah, fuck that, <laughs> then okay, you're doing a different kind of campaign. Because if they're your friends and you're enjoying playing with them, then you're, you compromise and you work with it. Yep. If you would much rather play a different kind of game, then you might have to be honest and say, I would rather do something a bit more intentional or more roleplay focused. Um, I would, I, I don't know if I can keep playing with you guys. I don't have enough time. X, Y, Z. Um, you know, and, and that's a difficult conversation to have, but if, if you want something specific out of role-playing games, um, you have to ask for it. And same thing as a player, um, as a, as a GM, I try to give ample opportunities for people to speak up. I ask at the end of almost every session, like, how are things feeling? Um, especially with a new group, like, was that fun? We we only had combat for 20 minutes of this session. Was it still fun? Do is the pacing too slow? Is it too fast? Is it is it boring when I describe the lore of the kingdom? Is that fun? Um coming to a consensus as a group is super super important and role play is one of those things where you just gotta you gotta bring it up if you want more or less of it. Yeah. It's, yeah. Well, it's, oh, okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'll try to make this quick. Uh, role play is. We're really good at that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> make, making it quick. We're so good at this. Okay. We're um, we're uh, <laughs> we are over two hours into recording. <laughs> Okay, so just like in real life, uh, let's limit it to the campaign table. Just like at the campaign table, like Trevor was saying, you need to communicate what you want to have happen, what kind of game you want in the uh, what kind of game you want in well, you want to play, but in-game roleplay-wise, uh, you you kind of need to have that same assertiveness. Um, you need to tell. You, I guess you need to tell the other players what your characters want. Uh, it it kind of goes hand in hand. Um, 
and and those those two points aren't related. They can be, but you have out of game situations what you want to happen in game, and then you have in game situations of what your character wants in game. If for example, if your character is passive, basically your role play is going to suffer overall. Um, and I'm not saying be be a huge dick and just assert yourself in every situation. Balance is key here, but uh, know when to be assertive for your character, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say, like, the, the, that's the key is knowing when your character would be assertive. Because, like, you know, there's, there's lots of things that some characters just aren't going to care about, but then others, then it matters. And that, that tells a story about that, that character. Yeah. Um, like there's, you know, like, like Pitt and his magic items, right? He, he does, he, he uses them. They're great. He doesn't really care to learn more about them. They, they have a job, they do their thing and that's it. But there's other places where it's like, yeah, he's going to engage more. And, and there's, you know, party events where it's like, eh, whatever people are going to do their thing. And there's ones where it's like, no, this is how it's going to be. And because that's, that's how people are. That, that's how you probably are. You know, you, there's things you care about and stuff that you're like, yeah, it's fine. Mm-hmm. You know, there's times mm-hmm. to be passive and times to be assertive. I, I, it could be as simple as, hey, uh, we're picking up a cake for this party. We were going to get uh, chocolate and coconut. Is that okay with everybody? So well, I <laughs> hate coconut. Yeah. So I would speak up and say, Hey, could we maybe do uh, chocolate and vanilla, or uh, and literally anything else? Yeah, um, literally. I was gonna say I do not care whatsoever until you said coconut. I'm like, well, now I have to care. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. And and it's, it's terrible. A, your character, whoever you are playing, whether you're the GM or you're the player, has the same kind of gut reactions to things. Mm-hmm. Part. Part of the fun is figuring out what those are. You know, if it is your character, the super studious wizard who wants to discover every unknown magical thing. Well, if you're in the dungeon and there is some magical mystery, your character should be the one based on what you've told everybody that won't let it go. Mm-hmm. that will spend resources that will put themselves and unfortunately their friends into danger to figure out what that is. Yeah, that, that is my wizard in the Pathfinder campaign. I, I've gone down <laughs> to zero hit points literally every session because we got transported to another plane of existence. I'm like, well, yeah, I want to find the magic here. And so everybody <laughs> I, will go I want to poke it. Yeah, everyone's going to go into a room, they'll fight the stuff, and then I go in and start messing around with crap, and a trap goes off, and I go to zero hit points. Mm-hmm. Almost every session. So many traps. It, it's like a running joke, but it's also fun, but it's also part of the character. They know that, that Sammy's going to run in and try and mess with stuff. And there's mm-hmm. times it's been really, really helpful, and there's been times where they're like, okay, yeah, we got to burn some spells so she doesn't die. That's just part of the interactions, you know? Sammy's dead again. Mm-hmm. Sammy's dead again. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I yeah, I think the just general sentiment of if you want more or less role play, or you want certain sort of things to happen in your your campaign, role play is a great way to communicate that that is what you want for your character. Yeah. Um. If if you walk into a town. The party walks into a town, and as far as I know, all they want to do is sleep and go to the next thing, but I will always ask, is there anything that you guys do before heading to bed? And that gives everybody a chance, you know, if if your person is like a religious character, they might ask around town, what? Um, are there any temples here? Are there any holy places? Um, if your character is kind of a grandstanding, charismatic, bard-type character, they would ask, hey, you know, where's the 
where where's the social stuff happening? You know, are there any pubs that look rowdy? Um, I would like to go there. Um, so, like, think about what your character might gravitate to, and in those moments, do them or call for them or say, and eh, that's that's a thing that happens a lot is I walk a group into a situation, and then somebody goes, "Hey, is there like a fighting pit or like a, is there any like shady gambling going on?" And I have not prepared that as the GM. But as soon as you ask about it, I know that you want it. (laughs) And I will say yes. Yeah. Because that sounds hilarious. I can either embarrass you and steal all your shit. (laughs) Or you can make an enemy out of all the shady people in town by stealing all their shit. Yeah. Like that that sentence, is there anything you do before, is like the most powerful tool in a GM's arsenal. Especially if you want your, your players to involve, like, get more involved and engaged. Because then they're going to immediately do things that both they and their characters want to be doing. And th- that's literally how you get people engaged. People are going to get engaged in something they want to be doing. And so finding a place, you know, like, my campaign started is just a literal dungeon crawl. We picked a module, we crawled a dungeon. And every time before we left the room, I was like, is there anything you want to do before we go to the next room? Every time. And someone's just like, no, we're good. Like, 80% of the time. But the 20% of the time that it says actually, and then says something, is what starts to build their characters. You know, there was the wizard, and at first he didn't really have a big personality, because it was the guy's first time ever playing D&D. And, and now he chose like a my, wizard. <laughs> yeah. He, he, yeah. Specifically, he chose an elf, which in Beckme box set is a fighter and a wizard. Um, oh, no. He has everything. Hell yeah. <laughs> He has literally everything except for thief skills. Um, and, and, you know, but now he's one of my favorite characters because there was just one time he's like, actually, before we go, and he just started, like, collecting weird stuff off of all the dead monsters. He started collecting slimes and claws and organs, and now he's just, like, this gross slime wizard who just has all this nasty stuff, and he'll just be like, hey, you know this monster? I'm like, yeah. He's like, and I was just like, yeah. And he's like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw this ooze at it that moves it to another dimension I'm like oh crap i forgot i gave you that ooze eight <laughs> seconds ago he's like yeah you did and i'm like well it works because that's how the ooze works you know but like that that's part of what his character does he gets these weird things because he knows they're powerful and so by allowing him to do that by giving him time to do that it makes him excited as a player to play the game he's like i get to find weird new stuff for my wizard to mess around mm-hmm. with that's freaking awesome yeah yeah, if there are parts of whatever role-playing game you are playing that you like, just go ahead and make those parts the parts that your character likes. Mm-hmm. And you will, have, you will have lots of fun. Yeah. yeah, if you like exploring new ruins, if you like just beating the shit out of stuff, okay, your character is a rough-and-tumble character that's always looking for a fight. You can be a wizard and be a fucking barbarian mentality oh yeah like i like you could be the wizard who has some complex that literally wants to test your magical prowess against every other arcane user you ever meet he's just gone mad with power you're like literally trying to magically arm wrestle people with mage hands every time you run into them yes and like putting wagers on it dude i'd love that character i'd eat that shit up like it, it's I would, I would put a sorcerer or a wizard or bard in every room you walk into for the rest of the campaign. <laughs> yeah, like find something that gets you excited to play, and make that part of your character, and then that's that's the perfect starting point. And then you just go from there as the char- as the character in the story develops. You'll add other details of other stuff that was exciting, mm-hmm. and and you'll find new things to be excited about later on for your next character that you yeah. haven't tried yet. It's, yeah. it's it's the tiny details that make characters grow, and you see them just dive right in. Yeah. yeah. I mean, people are, are multi, multifaceted. If I think about myself, when I'm hanging out with my friends, my default is to, like, look out for everybody else and try to make sure everybody's having a good time. Mm-hmm. Um, but... If I'm with a bunch of strangers, 
trying to do my own thing, I'm super selfish. I'm, I can be very lazy. But if somebody else is counting on me, I am not lazy. If one of my friends is counting on me, I will work a 20-hour day. I will do whatever. I will try to help them. But if it's just if it's me counting on me, I'm gonna let the dishes pile up. I'm gonna not do laundry. I'm gonna be a lazy piece of shit. I feel personally attacked. <laughs> and so stop it. Like where thinking about a character, where did those dichotomies lie? Where would they give a hundred percent? Where will they give fifty percent? Where will they give zero? Because there's going to be a spot where they give zero. And that could be a very interesting spot to find. It really could. I actually... I don't think any of our characters have found that spot. Yeah. Uh, like, that. that's something that I've, I've thought about recently. Especially with thinking about how you always kind of put yourself into whatever you're writing or creating or crafting. Mm-hmm. Yes. And like I talked a little bit earlier about like I'm idealistic, I'm optimistic. Um, and I put that into characters and systems that I create. But the world doesn't always work like that and not everybody in the world thinks the same way I do. Um, so how do I shake that up? How do I mix that up and, and come from a different angle? Um, and I think mechanics can help with that. I think that looking for those little details or starting with something simple and expanding is a great way uh, to kind of push that envelope for yourself. Starting simple and expanding is the easiest way because it's approachable. Mm-hmm. So that's the way I make any character I ever make is I, I pick like two or three personality traits and one of them involving like just overall motivation. And then everything else comes from there as, as I'm playing them, whether that's as a player or as a GM. Because it, it makes it quick and easy. I get kind of the vibe I want for that character that fits the overall role I have in mind for them. But then I have so much room to grow. And and then things are tied into the story that's being told as opposed to, you know, a story element. I know I'm going to forget. I'm too forgetful. I'm too scatterbrained. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to come up with a cool idea, write it down somewhere, and never look at it again until eight months from when it was ever going to be relevant. Mm-hmm. You know, and... So it just start simple. Like Pitt started as, as, as I mentioned, like stubborn, loyal, and protection. Like he protects people, and then grows from there to you know all this other stuff. One thing thinking about you know why does he do these things, and and you grow it just from something from from small simple roots. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we have trod all up and down um, role playing, different ways to do it, approaching it as a DM, GM, approaching it as a player. Um, is there anything we're missing? I'm sure we are. I'm sure we are. Um, definitely feel free uh, to let us know to give us your opinions. Um, because I think uh, role playing games are are so much bigger than any one tables, any one campaign experience. Um, people experience them in so many different ways. Uh, And I'm always fascinated seeing different ways to play, different ways to um, build an experience that is unique. Um, So that's kind of why we're doing this, because we have had a very unique and very engaging and very strong experience as a group together. Absolutely. Um, and honestly, uh, I didn't expect it. Um, no. No, the, the story of how we got together and just showed up one day and started playing, I did. I expected to have a good time, but I did not expect it to turn into this two and a half, three year long thing that mm-hmm. has, has at times defined like parts of my life. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I mean, it's become like... That's my end of week treat. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Only other thing I have, like we touched on it a little, but like if you want to get more role play happening in your game as a player, as a GM, whatever. Like talk about your game just in general. Not even like talk about role play in your game, but just talk about your game with the other people. Outside of actually playing the game. Mm-hmm. Like, the, the, I think that's part of why ours has ended up being so good. Is like we we talk about it like before the game, during the game, after the game. We talk about like what's going on. You know, when we do role play, we make sure nobody's actually mad at each other. That kind of stuff. Like just talking about the game as an object in everybody's communal mind. You know, is is gonna enrich it in so many ways. And then you can use that to start moving into like, okay, let's you know. How do people feel about the role play right now? Can we do better? Do, are we happy with it? Do we want to try new things? You know, mm-hmm. and, and then it doesn't feel as awkward anymore. And then eventually you start talking about other people's games and other ways to game. And then suddenly you're talking to each other for three hours while recording <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah. And 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 it it, it makes it better. Hundred percent. Talking about your game makes it better. Yes. Uh, the point I would like to leave off with is just this. Communicate. Communicate, communicate, communicate. You, it is the biggest crutch to D&D. It is the most helpful step to making it work. Um, and that's all. Like If you have concerns communicate them otherwise mm-hmm. people aren't going to know yeah and the whole point of this game is to have fun if anybody tells you otherwise they're wrong i i, I will say that <laughs> you know you're playing to have fun have fun yeah um so you know in my experience the best way to have fun is communication uh yeah that's all right that's my key point well, I think after many digressions, lots of examples, lots of long-winded dissertations on <laughs> what role-playing is, what it isn't, when it's good, when it's bad, how mechanics affect it, um, the, the, the basic point it all boils down to is Part of, the, part of the games that we play, tabletop role-playing games, are about pretending to be somebody that you're not. Whether that is you in leather armor with a sword, or whether that is a 27-year-old woman with back problems because they've been tortured all their lives, whether that's you're a fucking goblin. There's there's so many different things you can be in a fantasy, sci-fi, whatever role-playing game. Um, but the crux of it is, 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 are you having fun? Is it expanding your life and making it more pleasurable? And if the answers are yes, then... Okay, what can we do to make it more fun? Um, and can... I, I, and I hope that we answered a few of those questions. We obviously don't have all of them, and, and we are a hundred percent here to make sure your life is more pleasurable. We're here to give you <laughs> oh yeah! Where's that We're gonna we're starting with role play. We're starting with it. At the tabletop, we take it right onto the bedroom. I want to have sex with the goblin. I, I I never said my sexy role play happens in the bedroom. I just want to point that out right now. Hey, listen, <laughs> a good D and D group role plays together in all facets of life. <laughs> <laughs> role play will enrich your life no matter where you are, but especially if you're naked. Satanic oh. panic. Hashtag. <laughs> Good Lord Almighty. All right. <laughs>